What's up, everybody? This is Alternate Take, and I am your host. Welcome back. On this episode, we did something special for you fight fans out there, man. Now, we've tapped into the UFC quite a bit on this podcast, which has been extremely humbling for me, man. We've had on multiple times UFC cut man Rudy Hernandez, who is a... a great, great interview every time we get to talk to him, man, because he gets to tell us perspective on on what it's like to be in the corner and help these fighters progress throughout their fight. And then on the other end, we had on 2020 head coach of the year, Eric Nixick, who's, in my opinion, the best trainer in the world. And he gets to tell his take on what it's like prepping the fighters and coaching the fighters and being in that corner. And now for our next guest, we brought you the legend himself, the king of the trademarked phrase, it's time. The guy who gets you juiced before every fight. The guy who is the voice of the UFC. Bruce Buffer. Now, when I tell you that it was an honor to interview Bruce Buffer, that's a huge understatement and a huge disservice. Um, I bought Bruce's book back in 2013. And I took a lot away from it, man. I really did. And I remember at the time I was choked up when I read the book because I used a lot of those lessons that he was teaching in the book in my own personal life. So I never thought... One day I'd have the opportunity to interview him. So this is very surreal for me, and it's a, it's a huge pleasure and huge honor. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let Bruce uh, share some wisdom with you guys and tell his story quite a bit. So without further ado, I bring to you the voice of the UFC, Bruce Buffer. Well, for all you alternate take listeners, today we have the most physical, the most intense, and the best announcer that the sport of mixed martial arts has ever seen. Sir, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks. I, I really appreciate Danny. Great to be on the show, too. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I wanted to first start off, sir, with uh, with your childhood. And the reason I want to start off with that is because we usually do that with all of our guests. But the main reason I do that is because I feel like a lot of times people look at people's results as a direct correlation of their success, and they choose not to look at the mindset as to what got them there, right, which right. to me proves the real proof of a real winner from their time. So I wanted to start off, sir, from just from your beginning, where you started, where you grew up and all that good stuff. Well, you know, um, I was basically, as I was told, I was conceived in Las Vegas and I was <laughs> dropped off in Tulsa, Oklahoma on May 21st, which is my lucky number 21. Blackjack, one of my favorite games, the whole bit. But I was only in Tulsa for nine months and we moved to Dallas, Texas, which was a great upbringing. And then we moved to Philadelphia where all my relatives are from. Michael was born there, my mom, my brother, uh, Brian, and uh, then we went back to Dallas for a little bit, back to Philly, where I spent about 10 years of my early life. So that's my hometown. Uh, Eagles, Eagles, even though I'm out there for the Raiders, but Eagles are always in my heart. Um, then we moved to California when I was 15, which was like culture shock. It was like Frankie Avalon goes to the beach, you know. And um, I learned how to surf. The first thing I did, I uh, got involved with Baywatch, lifeguarding the whole bit before Baywatch was ever created. And it was an amazing experience. You know, Malibu is like the land of movie stars, but you didn't have to be rich to live there. We were not by any form, matter, or sound rich. Uh, we were middle class. My dad ran Fortune 500 companies. And uh, about a year into living out there, he quit a company because he was a writer. He was an ex-Marine for 13 years, fought in uh, World War II in Korea, uh, in the Pacific, um, was a drill instructor at Camp Pendleton. And growing up with my dad, I'd walk in a room at six or seven years old. I'd be like, hi, dad, son, project your voice, chest out, shoulders back. Let them know you're in the room. You know, I grew up with that whole attitude, which I think probably had a big effect on me to where I'm at today. Um, and my brother, Michael, who I did not grow up with, 
Uh, we met later in life. I never knew he existed. My dad never told me he was married briefly at the age of 20. Um, and then when I was roughly about 29 years old, uh, Mike Tyson was getting, you know, big in boxing. Boxing was on a total classic resurgence, the biggest thing happening at the time as the UFC is today. And um, this handsome debonair guy comes out saying, let's get ready to rumble. And they Chiron on the screen is named Michael Buffer. And I'm like, whoa, what? I own telemarketing companies in my 20s. And we didn't have the internet back then. We only had phone books, right? So I naturally would look in every phone book as most people did to see if your last name was there. If there was a relative in a city or something, I never saw my last name anywhere. Never. Till I saw this Chiron on the screen when <laughs> Michael's announcing from HBO. Long story cut short, I started calling Don King's offices, Bob Arum's offices, the big promoters, and found information that this man grew up in Philadelphia and Jersey near where I grew up. And just too many similarities. and got really funny. And then I had my dad call a local venue here in California. It was a small venue that he was appearing at announcing a fight. My dad left a message and Michael called him back and they got together for lunch and turned out to be his long lost half son, long lost son, rather, my half brother, who he hadn't seen since he was two and a half. So then that just started everything. I owned two companies at the time. I was making tremendously good money. Beach house, living the two and a half end lifestyle, minus the alcoholism, you know, here in uh, Marina del Rey, California, um, having a great time. But I had an epiphany when I saw Michael perform one night. Um, and I thought, you know, all these people are going crazy for this five words of air. Let's get ready to rumble for his, his uh, performance. So I called him up and I said, listen, I want to trademark these five words and I want to make you richer, more famous than you ever dreamed. I want to be your manager. I want to be your partner. And um, I'm going to put you in TV and film, video games and toys and, you know, licensing and blah, 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 blah. And the reason I said all that is because I went home that night of that fight that I saw at back to my room rather in Vegas. And I wrote three pages of notes incessantly, you know, just I, I couldn't control it. It just was like this. And I said, I want to do this. I want to do this. And Michael said one thing. He said, how are you going to do all that? So I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. <laughs> but if I'm going to give up everything I have right now and quit with the money I have in the bank to do this for you and for me, um, then you better damn well believe I'm going to make it happen. And that's how it all started. And, wow. Uh, Michael today will tell you that our dad has the best pipes out of all of us. You know, he had he had the voice. My dad's voice could scare the Pope. He never <laughs> hit me. Um, but if I knew he was upset, the last thing I wanted to do was get the wrath of God. You know, and he told me even as a drill instructor, when he would be out there with all his uh, soldiers in front of him, you know, half of them could kick his ass from here to China. Right. But the bottom line was the voice and the intimidation and, you know, standing tall. And I got all these teachings when I was a kid. My dad got me in more fights and introduced me to more girls than any best friend I ever had in my life. It was quite an <laughs> upbringing. <laughs> well, you know, that's what I found the most interesting, sir, is uh, the beginning of your book is a lot of that was focused on um, you being so grateful about your father and all the things he taught you. I mean, like uh, the poker at such a young age and how to blindfold and put a gun back together. And then, I mean, just, you know, mentioning your brother, I thought the, the most crazy part about that story you told, sir, was that he never got his last name legally changed, which if that never happened, who knows if he ever, you know, knew that was him. We never would have. There's just, I don't see any possible way that we would have. I don't see how that would have ever happened. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your father? I know you mentioned he was an officer. We actually just bought his book skull about like a week ago. It still hasn't came in the mail, but I'm looking forward to reading it. Can you tell us about that? Like those lessons you learned from your father growing up as a kid, how much, you know, it, it related to your success now. Oh, cool. Hey, that's uh, very cool of you, Danny. Thank you. That's, that's an honor that you did that. I mean, that's a collector's item, but it's a hell of a book. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really, my dad, it was because the New York times called it one of the best books of the, of the year that year. 
Wow. Really cool. And uh, I wish my dad was alive to have read my book when it came out. That would have been a great thing. So I'm sorry. The, the question again, please. Um, can you like tell us how much your success has been attributed to your father? I mean, like a lot of the, you know, you describe how hard he was on you as a kid and how, uh, and how his lessons, you know, as a drill sergeant and then just uh, examples he gave of him in the movie theaters and all these things that he did and his relation to, uh, you know, just a Gran Torino type figure, how, how much that related to your success as an adult. Wow, you're making it easy on me because you read the book. That's really cool that you have all that information. And it's all so true. I can't begin to tell you. Uh, I would say that uh, a very large part of the reason, I would say 50% of who I am, most definitely my, my entrepreneurial attitude, uh, my leadership qualities. And I say that very humbly because I'm very humble about everything, but I, I have proof. I, I don't believe in talking about something unless you have done it and you prove it. It's like when I run businesses, I need to be able to do every job in that business before I can teach somebody else and tell somebody else how to do it. That's the way I work. I teach how to teach how to teach in every business I'm in. So, cause I want to gain the respect and I want to make sure people know, I know what I'm doing. That was one thing my dad instilled in me <clears throat> and uh, the whole sales aspect, the ability to talk in front of people, um, the ability to uh, stand in front, take the first bullet, you know, have that kind of an attitude. Uh, accept your responsibilities, accept your mistakes, take responsibility for your choices. I mean, these are all important things. My dad, as that generation is, is from the great generation, the World War II generation. I mean, they went through the depression. They went through World War II. Before all the technology came about, this is the strongest generation, one of the strongest, if not the strongest generation. No offense to generations coming along. Technology is amazing. It's incredible, but it, it they're not as tough as they used to be mentally and physically. And, and there are standouts, of course, of course. I'm not saying that about everybody and I'm not putting people down. It's just that it's a different time back then. You know, we grew up, I grew up with three TV channels. We, we talked at the dinner table. We weren't face down in the phones. We weren't in our computers. Um, we, we were taught how to communicate and how to stand in front and, and be an announcer and, and do all this stuff, you know, and it's just, it, it just gave you more of a chance to come out of yourself and prove to yourself in, in different ways. And right now with COVID and technology, which is, you know, again, helping us, but it's, that's where the, you understand what I mean? The difference. Oh, 100%, sir. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I had all that growing up and I kept those qualities and I kept those um, teachings that I had from him and I've never changed them. You know, I just have adapted to the lifestyle and technology that we're all living with right now, just to be better, to make everything stronger and better. So my dad just, I'm being long-winded, but I do get paid to talk. <laughs> um, he was just a huge influence. I honestly, there's two things. Had I not met my brother, Michael, I probably would not would have ever been announcing the UFC because he's the key reason I got the foray into sports entertainment. I created everything on my own since then, including his career, you know, which I built with him to be the magnificent career and, and the huge brand that Let's Get Ready to Rumble is, which has sold like over $400 million in retail sales of products and ventures. Um, I'm applying the same principles to myself in my It's Time brand and my work with the UFC. And, and uh, my dad taught me one thing is if you're going to do something, be consistent. Keep doing it all the time. Keep your principles. Practice your principles. Don't change. Don't lie. Um, he was very big on that. And I can sell an air conditioner to an Eskimo, but I don't have to lie to do it. I can embellish. I can make it sound good. <laughs> yes, sir. I, I believe the quote is uh, in, in your book is if you can do it honestly, then there's no point. Or if you can't do it honestly, there's no point in doing it at all. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to walk around life trying to remember the lies that you told. That's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. I, I wanted to uh, also reference a quote that I, I really liked. It's, and it's the 
it was telling to me about what I was about to read when I read your book. I read and when it came out, I believe 2013, it was the first line you put in there. It was, you don't know who you really are until you've been punched in the face. And I love that because I feel like anyone who's been successful loves to tell the story of all their failures. And like I mentioned before, that's something that gets overlooked from the casual person. So um, what do you think were those moments in your life that where you were punched in the face where you had to rebound and how to gather some, you know, some steam to get back and get up, get back on track? Well, I've had a number of those moments and you got to hit the canvas and get up like Rocky says and walk forward and punch harder than ever. But my very first experience of a tantamount situation was when I started my first corporation at 19. At 18, I was working in a telemarketing firm selling office supplies legally. I was like the wolf of LA, not the wolf of Wall Street. I wasn't cheating people and uh, taking their savings the way he did in that movie and going to jail for it. I mean, we just sold office supplies. But I was an animal on the phone. I, I saw this job card board on the job card on the uh, job board at Santa Monica College, <clears throat> where I was going to school at the time, and it said earn 250 to 450 a week selling part-time on the phone. I thought, I got the gift of gab, I'll do that. So I went in, wound up having to go to work at five in the morning, selling companies back east, working till one o'clock, and I would go to school from two to 10 o'clock studying business. So I was, you know, working in school all day. I became the best salesman. I then became the sales manager. This is back in 1975, 76, and I'm making like $1,000 a week, which is like making four or 5,000 a week today. You know, and here I am, a young kid doing this. I'm, I'm looking at my owners of the company driving Porsches and Ferraris and realizing I'm the one selling all their sales and typical cocky kid who's like, you know, uh, making it, making it happen and thinking I'm the reason the success is there. I thought, well, I'll start my own company, you know, and I did that. And I did exactly the same thing. Um, started it about five miles away in another location. Uh, all the salesmen were very enamored of me because I would close their sales. I'd motivate them. I would try to make them as much money because I always try to make everybody around me happy, healthy, and prosperous. It's a simple theory I have, and it'll all come back to me. And I do that in, in my work life too. And about 80% of the sales force left and came to work for me at the new company. And I wound up getting sued for a million dollars by the people I was working for because they had private detectives following me and you know all this kind of stuff. And I didn't do anything wrong. They just slapped me with this lawsuit. And at 19, I had no idea how to deal with that. And it was one of the worst summers of my life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow, I was going to fulfill my dream. And now I'm being sued for a million dollars. My God, you know, I don't even have, you know, 30,000 in the bank and I'm getting sued for this right now. I, I would spend a lot of money back then. So, <laughs> um, I, it all, again, long story cut short, they wound up dropping the lawsuit, taking me back to work, making me a partner, paying me more money than I ever made with them before, because all they wanted me to do was come back to work and bring all the salesmen back. But that was a big that had a big effect on me because suddenly what I started, I, it didn't become successful. That was my first business. It was out of the gate, but because of all the legal parameters, it just ruined the whole experience. So I, you know, you pick up your chips, you go back, you play another game and you learn from it. That's one thing. It's like the first time you do something and it's not right. It's not a mistake. It's a learning experience. The second time you do it, it's a mistake. So I try not to make mistakes, but I try to learn from everything I do. So take those negative experiences. They happen, learn from them, look in the mirror, be honest with yourself and better yourself and do it better next time. And that's my whole attitude. So yes, sir. I, and I've gotten slapped in the face numerous times since before that, but I have to say I've had more successes than failures, but you don't know what it's like to succeed unless you know what it's like to fail. So it all, it all works. Oh, 100%. It's a, I believe it's a ball skills confidence, right, sir? Yeah, BSC, baby. <laughs> BSC all the way with a little bit of luck. Got to have a little bit of luck. Oh, definitely. I definitely think it's a, 
it's I think the luck part that I've like seen from that's beautiful from your life is that you have this natural gift to gab, but you were surrounded by hardworking men. I think that's huge. Like your brother, Brian, who's, you know, uh, you know, thank you for his service, by the way, for a you know, law enforcement career and your and your dad serving. Like when you have those examples around you, which is like the blue collar type of type of working and then you're naturally, you know, drawn to a white collar type of, you know, and you combine those together. You're just basically unstoppable, to be honest with you. Thank you. I feel unstoppable right now, personally, because I, I'm in a position now that I've waited carefully. And in business, it's like in the uh, the old war where they said, don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes, right? Hold, sure. hold, hold. They're coming to hold, 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 <laughs> boom. So I could have come out like with my puncher chance bourbon, you know, my, uh, this is a big hit in America. It's uh, six gold medals, three for taste, three for bottle design. Wow. Finest tasting, fastest selling bourbon in America today from a craft distributor. Oh, very beautiful. Of this. Um, Connor, Connor, you know, he's done very well with his proper 12 and the rock has uh, Tremania uh, tequila. Um, but I will say something for Connor. I admire his success. I question how he handles himself in public at times. I've been very vocal about that because I believe we should all be role models to our sphere of influence, as I say on my podcast. Um, Proper 12, congratulations, but you haven't won any gold medals yet. <laughs> yes, sir. Puncher's chance. There it is. And then I've got the It's Time Energy product, which is the most natural uh, for vegans, athletes, everything full of vitamins, minerals, No, none of the bad stuff in it, like a taurine that's in the monster and the Red Bulls of this world. Not putting them down. Just I want if I'm going to do something, it's going to be the best. This is the most natural one out there. We just launched it in the UK and England. It'll be in America on Amazon and then all the stores in America starting in November um, and all over the world. This is another big project. I could have come out with these, say, even three years ago, but the timing wasn't right. The timing's right now. Since COVID hit, I've been able to increase my business three, four hundred percent with the virtual reality of videos and everything else that's out there. And like I said, in life, you have to adapt. When things happen, you have to adapt. Somebody throws a punch at you, you better know how to move and not take that punch, you know? Yes, sir. I love all that. I love the products and everything. I will definitely be buying all those. I want. I wanted to ask you too, sir. Um, I think a lot of times people watch you on the TV and then they, they kind of just assume like you've been there the whole time. But I think a lot of people don't know that like, you know, you got your first gig and then they didn't call you back and you had to come back. And then um, I think the episode with friends that you're on is what solidified it all. Where you doubled down on yourself. You said, hey, man, I want to do this full time. And then... Um, Tell us that process. I remember you visited your mother in the hospital and then you had that Rocky moment. I, I love that. Well, you reminded me of my book because uh, certain chapters in there, like when my dad passed, if I read, I just lose it. You know, it's, it's, when you write a book, you got to put your heart on the table. You better not write the book. You got to tell it all. Um, yeah, that's, that was a Rocky scene with my mom. She's another reason I am who I am, a huge inspiration to me. My dad passed. My mom's 93, still alive. To hear her smile and her voice every day is so motivating to me and I'm, you know, I'm Italian, but even if I wasn't at bottom line, I'm a family man to all about my family. So yes, uh, everything you said is correct. And when they put me on friends, I'd been trying for almost a year and a half, whatever it was to become the Octagon announcer with all my media contacts, telling the owner, Robert Meyer, it's so I can help him build the brand, build the sport, but I have to grow as the announcer and he won't just get an announcer. He's going to get somebody much better, a soldier that's going to really do everything he can to to do to, to build the brand like I did let's get ready to rumble like I've done it's time since then because I'm a brand builder but it fell on deaf ears and then when I uh, got the role I I called him up and I said look we got to meet on the set 
And I met him on the set, and I basically just said, I've been at this for a year and a half. You had me announce uh, two other shows. Um, bottom line, or one other show, now I'm here on Friends, the biggest, the biggest comedy on TV, starring as myself, co-starring as myself. Uh, I feel like a girl that's waiting to be asked to the prom, and nobody's asking me, and I'm going to ask you, and this is the last time I'm going to ask you, and, and I'll never ask again. I need to be your announcer. I will help you build this brand. This could be the biggest thing in sports. I believe it'll be the biggest thing in fighting sports. Let's do this. Best poker hand I ever played. You know, I got that little edge to throw at him to to barter with, and I took that chip and I made it into a stack. You know, wow. And then I, I announced every show since then, no matter where it was, for like eighteen years before they had to bring in a backup announcer because there were so many shows and I couldn't physically be in two places at once. But I remember one time I was in uh, Jersey and Dana and I had to get to Bella Horizonte, Brazil for a show 16 hours later. And there's no way you can do that commercially flying. Dana hopped me on his jet. I get on the jet. Um, you know, he's got this bed waiting for me. There's plenty of food. It's him in the other bed, <laughs> the other one. You know, we're both just sacking out. And uh, we jammed down there. And 16 hours later, I'm in a new tuxedo in another hemisphere in another country in less than 24 hours doing two shows. That was my almost famous rock star moment. That was awesome. <laughs> but that can get pretty exhausting. You know, you got to stay healthy to be on the road. I used to train to compete. Now I train to travel and get older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that. And I was like, wow, I think it was, you said it was like 2012, I believe, or something like that. You got a better uh, memory than me. I got to read the book again to remember. That's why I wrote it. So I can remember what I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I do think that's phenomenal. Um, I wanted, I wanted to ask too, like what's your, because obviously your job title is, you know, to be the announcer of the UFC. But is there like a sense of, duty that you feel like you have to like perform when you walk in is there something that you feel like you have to do when you go in there like what do i have to give to the fighter to the to the crowd to my company what is there something that you feel is uh permanent like when you're when you're walking in you know here's the thing i never rehearse okay i might go i go over the names phonetically uh john anik and i if he's there we'll go over before the show but i never rehearse how i'm going to announce because I want to keep it natural. There's a rehearsal voice and there's your natural organic voice. So I feed off the energy of the crowd, which until recently was the case every time. Now I'm at the apex. I'll leave, leave T-Mobile sold out to 15 to 20,000 people. And the next week I'm at the apex and there's 100 people in the, in the room at best. Um, but I'm still giving it my all. Here's The thing is, is that these warriors, male and female, have been training for six to eight weeks. These fans have paid their hard-earned money and they keep us alive with their fandom and and, and every time they pay money, no matter what, they want an autograph, a picture, even during COVID, I do the best to accommodate everybody. Without the fans, we're nothing. We're here because of them. And the fighters, obviously, too. So when I get in there, it's me and the fighter. I'm looking into their eye. I never leave my eyes off their eyes. And it's, I'm looking in the eye of the tiger. And I still give it my all. I give everything I can. I know what it's like to bang. I've had enough you know, fights in my life in a ring or on a beach or in a back alley or whatever. You know, but the bottom line is, as a professional fighter, I know that mentality. And I want to take them to that next level. And I can't stand still. You know, I'm just not one to stand still like other announcers, which is great. I'm all respect to other announcers. I'm different. I got this fire in me. I've got to move. And I stood still the first few years I was announcing, and it didn't work for me. I had to let it loose. And when I did, I finally realized how I want to announce, right? So every show is a new show for me, obviously, but every show... Like last Saturday when I was in there, I had to prove myself last Saturday, not the week before at 266, which was a huge show. Just last Saturday, the small Apex show, I had to prove to the powers that be, to Dana, to the fans, and to myself and to my family that I deserve this job. And that's the attitude I have every time I walk in there. That way I keep it passionate, 
I keep it the same, and it's been that way for 25-plus years, and I haven't changed it. The moment I lose that passion or the ability to do that or physically the ability to do what I love to do, then I'm going to retire. I'm done. Yes, sir. I'm not and I sit there for a paycheck and a seat. Oh, definitely. And I think that shows a lot about your character is that you still think you have to prove yourself as to where like even a normal person just doing a basic level job gets comfortable in their own workplace environment. But you're on the highest level and everyone respects you and everyone knows how much of a legend you are. And you still have that mindset, which is, again, what I get to. That's the winning mindset. Um, I know you have you're short on time, so I only have a few more questions for you. Sure, sure but um, I think the thing I well, one observation, I think the thing that makes you unique in the sport of MMA, sir, is that other announcers of all time, we're talking like uh, Vince Scully or, or Chick Hearn or Bob Uecker or any one of these, Al Michaels, a lot of these guys have are, are legends in their own right, but they're not like directly working with the person that they're about to announce. And that's, I think, was what makes everything better is like when Vince Scully is talking about his thing, it's it's phenomenal. But when you're doing your announcement, the fighter is right in front of you and he's responding to you. And a lot of the times they're mouthing the words to you, to what you're about to say. It's like they know every part of it. And I think that is what makes uh, fans really respect you and, and enjoy your whole, you know, everything you're doing. Thanks. I appreciate that. I always say that, um, I don't want to, when it's time for me to go, you know, I either going to have a big party if I know I'm going to go and I'm going to hand out everything, make sure everybody's happy. And then I'll go off into a, the sunset and disappear somewhere. But I think the thing for me would be to go It's tough <laughs> right there in the <laughs> octagon, just because I always give it my all. Who knows? One day that might happen. <laughs> it actually be kind. Either get taken down by a great white uh, shark when I'm surfing or in the octagon. It might be the best way to go. Who knows? I told oh, that to Mel Gibson at the at 266. He goes, he came up to me, the actor Mel Gibson, and uh, he said, I'll just wait for you to blow a gasket, you know? And he <laughs> gave me a big hug. And, you know, we see each other all the time at the shows when he's there. And I said, Mel, I, I told him exactly what I told you. And he goes, forget the great white. That's the way to go inside the octagon. That's the way. Everybody would be writing about that. I go, great, Mel. Thank you. But hopefully it won't be for a while. <laughs> you know, I actually used your phrase this morning. My sister uh, had her first baby, so we've been celebrating. So right when the baby came out, it's the first thing I said is it's time. I <laughs> yelled it pretty good. Oh, thanks. <laughs> of course, of course. And then um, another thing I wanted I wanted to like uh, touch on, too, was I think it's uh, phenomenal that you also in the book, you you shouted out all these fighters that you had great relationships. So you're talking Tito Ortiz, Randy Couture, Rampage Jackson and Chuck Liddell and all like the impact they had on you. And um, I do like how you use their lessons as to how it made you a great person. I remember when I was a kid, I was a huge Dodger fan. And I remember reading Steve Garvey's book and it was uh, called The Boys of Summer. And it was basically the same thing. It was talking about how when he was a bat boy, he thanked all these legends ahead of him that he learned lessons from. And I think that's phenomenal. Do you have any take on some of your fighters now now that are like actually giving you that same fire? You know, um, you read in the book, obviously talk very highly about Randy Couture, you know, and I also talk on the other end about fighters like John Jones, you know, who I had dinner with before he ever had his first uh, issue, you know, personally telling him, John, you could be the greatest of all time, but you got to watch yourself. The, the, your biggest enemy is going to be you. I can see it right now. Got to catch yourself, you know, before you wreck yourself. And we all know what happened there. And, just recently, you know, the things in the news, and I'm sorry to see the announcement of, you know, what Chuck Liddell, my buddy's going through um, yesterday. And, you know, that'll all come out in the wash, but obviously there's an issue there in his family, as he explained on the internet. It's funny, you know, you learn lessons, as I've learned from Chuck, you know, just his amazing ability to go in and anytime, anywhere, any place, you know, all that respect to everybody. And, you know, these long-term relationships, then we start seeing changes in their lifestyles. You know, it's, 
it's it is all fun and games out there, but it's reality out there. Everybody's got to deal with positives and negatives, and all we can do is support each other, you know. And uh, you know, then I'll read stuff that Conor McGregor does, and I had a big admiration for him, learning not learning from him, but admiring him because he had that attitude like I had. And even when he was wearing his dad's suit, you know, to the shows and they finally got his own suit and we used to talk each other at the shows and I tell him how great, you know, he looks and he came up to me when he was 19 and or so in, in uh, Ireland, the first show he did there, he wasn't even in the UFC and this no beard, no nothing. This clean faced kid comes up to me and goes, my name is Conor McGregor. Remember it. I'm going to be champion. You're going to be announcing me someday. Then when he came in, I remembered that kid that came up to me. I mean, I had a lot of kids do that to me, but I remembered him. He had this it factor. And I love the fact he's going to be one of the biggest, greatest role models in MMA. And then he does, you know, the stuff, breaking the law and everything and never really answering for what he did. I always believe if you play, you should pay, right? Yes, sir. In other words, what you should pay for whatever you play. And he's gotten off easy. And, you know, and then he gets back on track and handles himself properly. And then all of a sudden... When he fights Poirier in, in Abu Dhabi, he's like the Conor McGregor I remember, respectful and everything. And then he fights Poirier in Vegas. And and then I start reading all these tweets and, you know, what he's saying about his wife and this. And it's like, that's not the way to handle yourself, you know? Right. So I've learned, but at the same time, people also have to look in the mirror again and learn from themselves, you know, better themselves. I'm very, I may be getting off track here, but I'm very big on role models. There's very few role models for the young people today in today's society. I mean, really, to my opinion, really true role models. It's not just your performance. It's how you handle yourself outside the octagon, right? It's the same thing. So I have learned, supported, taught, given life lessons to, learned life, life lessons from many, many fighters over the years. It's hard for me to pinpoint because you're talking over 25 years, working with everybody you can imagine in the sport of mixed martial arts. So um, I've learned what to do, and I've seen and learned what not to do. And I try to take those experiences and give them back to the fighters as Uncle Bruce when I can, because I want them, male and female, to have the most glorious careers they can have and make the most money they can have for putting their blood, sweat, and tears and lives on the line every time they walk in that octagon. And they do. No question about it. They do. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, in fact, it's funny because back in 2013, when your book did come out, I actually... I would take out clips of your book, the bufferisms and the rules, and I would put them on my uh, like my tack board. I was like, "This is the shit I need to hear." You know, I was out of high school, not really doing much, and it was it was a good form of discipline. It was a good form of motivation, and it was a oh, no problem, sir. And it was it was a good form of a reason. It, you actually were like like a the Gran Torino to me in a little bit of a way. I mean, definitely not as uh, abrupt, but definitely you know the same exact way. Uh, one more question, sir. That means a lot to me. That means a lot to me. That means I'm doing something right. And um, it's not all about the paycheck, Danny. I mean, I'm the first one at the bank to cash in on a Monday morning. Trust me. Okay. But I'm in this for so much more than that. And luckily, I'm in a position that I can say that, you know, I've worked hard to get here. And, you know, it's it's one thing to work your way up to where you want to achieve your goals. The hardest part or the where you got to be smartest is to maintain it once you get there. Right. Yes, sir. So it doesn't crumble and you fall down. Life's like a pyramid. You got to treat everybody with respect because all these people at the bottom, as well as the vice presidents and everybody at top, but this base here, you want to keep it strong or it's just going to fall down. So treat everybody with respect, team effort all the way. Yes, sir. One last question, sir. If you can give any fight for anybody who's a young fight fan or, or someone who's trying to excel in the sport and is trying to move up in their way right now that they can go back and study and say, that's a fight you should watch 
to, to learn this specific skill. This You can learn heart from this fight. You can learn talent from the, or just a phenomenal fight. Is there a fight in your head that sticks out where you go back and watch it sometimes on YouTube and you just sit down and watch? I think if you just watch the trilogy of fights between Connor and Dustin Poirier, you're going to see that, you know, from his first fight. And you realize a guy like Dustin Poirier has been in this game for a long time. He's now fighting better than he ever fought in his life. You know, the Connor took him out in the first fight. He took uh, Connor out very decisively and, good game plan in the, in the second fight. And then the third fight, we all know what happened in which, you know, Connor hurt his foot, but I do believe the Poirier still would have beat him in that fight. You know, that's one aspect. It's really hard for me when people hit me with that question. Cause there's so many fights I've seen. It's really, really difficult. Uh, look at Brandon Marino, his fight to become champion, right? There is a fight to realize the skill factor, the respect factor. Look at the, look at the way Brandon Marino handled himself pre-fight to post-fight. I think that's probably a really good example for your question right there. Brandon, yes, Moreno, la, Brandon Moreno's last fight. That's I'm very enamored of this young man. Um, he's definitely a role model and one of my favorite fighters. And I'm picking him out because this is a recent fight that people are in the sport now can relate to. So he's fighting again in January. Um, they pushed the fight ahead. But uh, this is one young man that I'm really excited to follow the evolutionary process of his career. There's an example that I think is enough to, to answer that question. Yes, sir. In fact, uh, one of our podcast regulars, uh, UFC cut man, Rudy Hernandez, he, I remember when he called me after that, he had mentioned uh, Moreno's fight and said that it was different. It was different for him and the way he talked and the way he conducted himself. And you can even see Joe Rogan was emotional interviewing him a little bit. So that was that was a beautiful moment. Anyways, uh, Mr. Buffer, I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy and you got things to do, but uh, it was a huge honor to have you on the show, sir. Thanks, Danny. And it's a huge honor. Your words, uh, your kind words really mean a lot to me. And the fact that you're my book and what you're telling me about, it, I should, <laughs> you're, I'm actually want to read my book again. You're reminding me of a couple different things I got to remember or, you know, get, get back into, get a few tears in my eyes. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, you know, for your fans, your fans of your show, that are fans of the UFC. Um, one thing I do like to do, and I get partial proceeds back to animal military and children's charities is I do a lot of videos and audios. Um, obviously, I'm on Cameo. I'm busy on doing Cameos every day. Um, but through BruceBuffer.com, we have a special there for audio and video uh, where I introduce you like a champion in the cage or whether it's a wedding or a birthday or a birth of your baby, whatever. My partner, Chris, and I love doing this. The thank you notes we get, we're making people so happy. Sure, you know, with the price we charge is a lot less than I could charge. But um, again, this is partial proceeds for charity, but it's also giving back. And uh, it's something we love to do. So check it out if you're a fan, if you want to be introduced as a champion. And then um, follow up on the Puncher's Chance and the It's Time Energy because we're going to have giveaways. I'm going to give giving away tickets to UFCs, flights, you name it. Um, it's all there. Pay it forward, baby. There's no harm in making money. I'll always cash that paycheck, but pay it forward. You have a right to do both in life. Yes, sir. This is, that's the best way to end it. So I appreciate your time, and it was a great time talking to you, sir. Thanks, Danny. Take care. Stay safe right? Yes, you sir. Know, this is uh, this whole COVID thing. Still be aware. Still, still be smart about everything. We'll get through this. We'll be back to normal, hopefully at some time in the near future. Yes, sir. Thanks again. Have a great day, sir. All right. You too, Danny. Take care now. All right. Bye. -bye. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, our interview with the voice of the UFC, Bruce Buffer. Thank you again to Mr. Buffer for coming on the show. I I really can't stress enough how much this interview meant to me. It was a it was a great, great honor. And thank you to uh, your vice president of your company, Kristen, for getting it set up. You, you've been nothing but 
you know, classy and respectful. And I, I really appreciate you guys getting back to me. And wow, I'm, I'm extremely honored and humbled. Uh, to all you guys out there, Alternate Take fans, man, thanks for riding this journey with me so far, man. It's It's been fun. You know, it's just a, like I always joke around, I'm just a dumb kid from the neighborhood of La Habra, California, just having a good time and interviewing people that I've always never thought I'd get to interview. So um, thank you all for tuning in. Go to Bruce Buffer's website. I put all the links in the podcast description. There's everything to his his bourbon line, to his It's Time Energy Drink, to his social media platforms. I even put the Amazon link for his father's book, uh, Mr. Joe Buffer, which is called Skull, which we can't wait to read. It's going to be in the mail here in about a week or so. But go support Bruce Buffer. I mean, what, what else can I say, man? That dude's an absolute legend. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I'll see you guys soon. Peace.